Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk to Be Well on the Future of Health. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, bringing you a real conversation on team mental health from the people who know that best. Joining me today from the Work to Be Well Student Advisory Council are Kelly, Maraca, Lena, JJ, and from Youthline, we have Arna and Cameron. Our discussion today is on coping and the importance of self-care. Remember everyone, if you have questions for us, we can be found at Wellbeing Trust on Twitter and Facebook, and our Student Advisory Council is on Instagram at work to be well. That's work, the number two, be well. Before we start, I want you to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have questions regarding a medical condition or specific treatment. We'll be discussing topics that might be triggering to some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out to the youth line at 1-877-968-8491 or text teen to teen to 839-863. Again, that's teen, the number two, teen. Okay, let's get started by welcoming our panelists to the show. Thank you for joining us. So I'd like to have our panelists introduce themselves today and tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're passionate about mental health. Hi, my name's Arna. I'm a junior in high school. And um, where I come from, you know, no one really talks about mental health. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, it became inculcated in me to talk about mental health and, you know, spread awareness because it's important to realize that everyone has mental health. And so I'm just very passionate about that topic. And I volunteer at Youthline in my free time. I'm in student leadership in my school and I'm on the wellness committee. And I also volunteer with Planned Parenthood. I'm Lena and I'm on the Be Well Volunteer Council. And I also play volleyball, so that's kind of fun. I'm really passionate about mental health because I recently found out about all the struggles people go through and I've kind of been struggling myself, which is kind of new for me. And I really want to help erase the stigma surrounding mental health and kind of break down some of the barriers that go with it. Hello, my name is Maraka. I'm a senior in high school. I'm passionate about mental health because I've experienced and witnessed a lot of people in my family deal with mental health issues um, and maybe not deal with them in the best ways. I've also experienced mental health issues myself. I'm on the Work to Be Well Student Advisory Council. It's my first year. Um, And one of the things that I'm most excited about working on is providing accessibility to mental health resources to our low-income youth in Portland. Hi, I'm JJ, and I'm a senior this year. I am on the Be Well student board, and mental health is important to me because growing up, my parents have always taught me that mental health always comes first, and then going to school, it was always something that wasn't really focused on, and so my goal is to implement mental health curriculums within school districts and within classes, and right now I'm working with my school district to make that happen. My name is Cameron. I am a junior in high school in the Portland area, and I am very passionate about mental health because I volunteer at Youthline, and the people that I talk to always inspire me because of all their strength and everything that they go through, and it's just so hard to reach out, so I'm very inspired because of that. I'm Kelly, and I'm currently a junior in high school, and I got involved at volunteering with the Oregon Youth Line a couple years ago and then I ended up joining the Be Well Student Advisory Council a year after that and so lately especially in high school I've become really involved in the mental health world and just educating myself and other people about why it's so important 
And I think originally what drew me towards mental health so much is the fact that unlike physical illnesses, mental health is something that is usually not something that you can tell just from looking at someone. Like you can't tell that someone is going through some rough patch in their life. And that's why I just wanted to bring more attention to something that most people don't talk about enough. Lena, why don't you kick us off? What is coping and self-care? So coping is a reaction to stress or any other mental health condition that can either help or hinder a person's ability to be okay. We hope to teach positive coping strategies that can help someone in their time of need. Just to add on, for me, self-care is doing something that purely benefits me, my body, and my mind. Not anything to do with school, not anything to do with work, something that is purely beneficial to me. Um, For me, I definitely take care of myself by doing things by myself and kind of doing things alone and that kind of sounds like antisocial but just because I feel like especially as teenagers we're around a lot of people all the time at school in society and it's nice to kind of just be by yourself for a little bit and do things that you want to do. I kind of recuperate by spending time with other people. I find myself happiest when I'm surrounded by people I love and care about and whether that's getting my mind off of what's stressing me by playing volleyball or just cracking jokes or laughing around. I think that for me, coping is finding people I love and relaxing with them. I just wanted to touch on how I really thought it was great that we all shared on our individual coping and self-care strategies because it shows how self-care can really look different for everyone. And that's why sometimes with social media and other things like that, It can be easy to feel like what other people do will work for us as well when that's actually not the case. That's a really important point. What do you all think of that? Um, I kind of definitely agree with you. I think that social media has this kind of effect where you try to fall in a line with everybody else and see what they're doing to cope and think that that has to work for you. But self-help and coping is really up to the person that's struggling and being able to say, well, I need to do this to cope and you need to to do that is really one of the healthiest parts. Yeah, I think it's definitely beneficial to kind of have a trial and error approach to how you cope. Um, Trying new things, seeing what works for you is definitely really important when it comes to coping. So how important is it to have healthy coping skills, especially as an active teenager, some of you working in the teen crisis field, but all of you being impacted by social media and the 24-hour news cycle? I think it's really important to have healthy coping skills, especially with all the reasons that you just mentioned. When I think about unhealthy coping strategies, I think they're oftentimes the result of when teens are told that the way they're feeling isn't okay. And so I think unhealthy coping that comes from when you feel like what you're feeling isn't valid. But when we do feel like our feelings are valid, then we are able to more just be able to sit in whatever we're feeling, whether it's positive or negative, and not have to turn to some type of unhealthy coping. And also, just even as like call volunteers, it's important for us to have healthy coping skills also because you know you see a lot and it can like take a toll on you if you don't take care of yourself. And it's so important to do that. Um, and it's also really important to make sure that you have the ability to come up with these coping skills. And a lot of the time on the lines, people need some help brainstorming what to do. And 
it can be so helpful to just have a list of some things that you can turn to when you need to take care of yourself. I definitely think that especially being students, we have a lot of stress in school and a lot of stress in our social lives. And it's really important to be able to cope with those things because if you're not, that can manifest itself into not taking care of yourself, not sleeping enough, and that kind of stuff can really affect your life negatively. Yeah, not only is a healthy coping skill in that direct moment important, but I actually read a lot that you create this habit, this healthy habit of going to a positive coping skill instead of a negative one, especially when you're in a time of need. So when you get to a point where you don't know where you're going, if you've already created a healthy habit of going on a walk or going for a bike ride or hanging out with friends, it can help you out more than it normally would. You know, you all bring up a lot of really great ideas about healthy coping skills. When we take a quick break here, I want to come back and talk about how do you know when you need to use your coping skills? So let's take a quick break. We're with Talk to Be Well. Got me feeling like the elephant in every room I'm walking into, yeah. We started out innocent till I got pulled right into your issue, yeah, yeah. I'm tired of sending hugs and kisses, Well is back with our guests from Work to Be Well Student Advisory Council and Youthline. We're talking about self-care and coping, and a great way to practice self-care is to reach out when you need help. If you or someone you know is struggling, please call Youthline at 1-877-968-8491 or text teen to teen at 839-863. That's teen, the number two, teen. So right before the break, we were talking about coping mechanisms and self-care and those types of things. And what I'd like to know is, in your experience, how can you tell when either you or someone you know is that life has taken a toll on them and they may need to practice some coping skills? Um, I definitely, as far as like noticing for other people, um, like for my friends, if I notice that maybe they're disinterested in activities they normally really like or they're not reaching out as much and there's kind of a change in attitude, um, I can kind of tell that maybe they need a little bit of extra self-care and extra coping. Um, I think that also kind of relates to myself. I think it can also take physical form when you realize, like um, physical pain, sweating a lot. There's different signs. It's different for everybody. But yeah, I would definitely think that those are how I know that I need to cope. Um, and also, like, it varies from person to person, especially the physical symptoms that are telling you that you need to take a break. But I think for some people, it 
can be like when you're feeling super tired all the time or overwhelmed or feeling more anxious than you normally do. Um, maybe if you aren't sleeping a lot or you feel like isolating yourself from a lot, that can definitely be signs that you need to do some self-care. So are there bad coping mechanisms? Absolutely. A lot of them include like kind of screwing up your sleep schedule, maybe sleeping in way too much, going to bed way too late. They can also include overeating or undereating. Any point where you're doing something to your body that shouldn't normally be happening is definitely not the right coping strategy. Um, also, drugs and alcohol can be a really negative coping mechanism that even teens are kind of getting into nowadays. So um, it can feel really hard when you don't feel like you have anything, anyone to reach out to, especially as a teenager. I feel like you can feel especially isolated. So that's definitely not a way that you want to handle your stress and cope. Um, one important distinction to make is that we refer to coping skills as healthy and unhealthy and not good as good and bad. Because we have to realize that the position the person is in and at that moment they are coping, whether it is unhealthy or healthy. The fact is that unhealthy coping mechanisms can sometimes do more harm than good. So it's important to recognize what is good for your mind and body and, you know, what you can do in your capacity to make yourself feel better. That's a really great point. Thank you, Arna, for sharing that, because it really is about what's healthy for me may be unhealthy for you. And those are things that we all need to remember. What I want to know is, can any of you share a time when you were using unhealthy coping mechanisms to deal with stress and what you learned from that? One of the ones I remember was my first finals week of freshman year. I was pretty much a wreck. And I thought I was really stressed out, but I wasn't really that stressed out. And I thought I was going to lose it. I wasn't really going to lose it. And I was really building myself up to the point where I just exploded. And in hindsight, I think if I had just taken a break to talk to someone, it would have helped me because writing things down or explaining things make them seem not as big and bad. I really liked what Lena just brought up because I think that when we hear the word self-care, we often think that it's something like doing a face mask, which for someone could be their self-care, which is good too. But I just wanted to bring up how getting someone to talk to, like someone that you trust and you feel like will be a good listener, that's just one of the best forms of self-care as well. Well, I do know for me that my Friday night go-to is a good face mask. So I can definitely endorse that as a great coping strategy. Anybody else have some personal experiences you want to share? Um, for me, I was going through kind of a rough time during my junior year in high school. I had a lot of family situations going on, and I kind of just made it up in my head that, oh, for self self-care for me is just going to be like laying down all day because I'm tired. Like, this is how I'm going to help myself. And it ended up having really negative effects, and I thought that that at the beginning, I thought that that might be a healthy um, coping mechanism for me, and it turned out that it ended up being very unhealthy. It made me very unproductive and overall put me in a more negative mood. Well, I want to thank you all for sharing about your own personal experiences. I know those are hard to do. And I want to ask, were there triggers that, that let you know when you're feeling stressed? Are there like little things that happen for you now that you've learned that you go, oh, I know I'm going to need to, I need to take a break. What kind of things, or what do you see in the people you talk to that are triggers? For me personally, I've noticed that 
I'm overwhelmed or I have too much going on in my life when I start losing sleep over it. Like sometimes I just have the worst time falling asleep or getting out of bed in the morning. And that's usually a sign that tells me that I should address something. And for me, it's normally when I am more tired than I already am as a high schooler and just feeling super overwhelmed and I'm in a bad mood for no reason and I can't really explain it and my family's annoying me and I don't know why. And that's definitely when I know that, you know, I shouldn't be putting other people down because I'm feeling down so I can do something to help myself feel better. For me, I think it's when I react in a bad way. So when something happens, I might... um not, I might react by getting angry or mad. Um, and then I just have to look back and be like, was that what I would have done that if I was in the right state of mind or like in the, like if I was, had a healthy mindset. So I think, um, I can catch it pretty well, but then sometimes you can't really take back the words you said or the things you've done. So I th- then it's like, how am I going to fix it or how am I going to improve or how am I going to like recognize the trigger? So that way I don't do it again. You know, we hear a lot about positive self-talk, and I'm wondering if anybody can describe what positive self-talk is. For positive self-talk, I try to make sure that I know that I'm being honest with myself. I think positive self-talk doesn't mean that you're always telling yourself that you're doing amazing when you maybe might not be doing amazing. I think it's just being honest with yourself and being okay with not being okay. Um, I think one of the phrases that has, you know, conveyed positive self-talk really well to me is where they say that how you, you know, comparing how you talk to yourself in your mind as to how you talk to others or someone you really respect or, you know, words that you would usually not use with others straight up front is very important to realize because often we don't realize how much harm we can do in saying certain statements or words to ourselves because, you know, we think that it's okay because no one else is getting hurt, but we have to realize that we ourselves are important and our health is important. And just remembering to, you know, like Kelly said, even if you're not doing great, using encouraging tones rather than, you know, saying something like, oh, I can't do this, is very important to have that in mind that if you haven't haven't been able to do anything to put yet at the end of that sentence because you will get there at some point. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I also think that personally, I um, like whenever I'm feeling like overwhelmed about something or something's getting to me, I think it really helps for me to remind myself that this is not the end of the world and that everything is temporary and I can get through anything. And I think that it really helps me because I tend to get really worked up about things And it's nice to be reminded by myself, especially that I'm going to get through it. Okay, this is really cheesy, but sometimes I like to go onto YouTube and they have really good motivational, inspirational videos that will talk you up if you're feeling down. So that's another source that I recommend. That's a really great point because I know... A lot of people will use watching cat videos or puppy videos or cute little animal videos as a way to to also kind of take their mind away as a coping mechanism that can be very positive, especially when things that are in the 24-hour news cycle get overwhelming. When we come back, I really want to talk with you about some of the differences that you see between how you all cope with stress and how you all cope with things and how maybe your parents or other adults in your lives cope with things. We'll be back after this short break at Talk to Be Well.
Lamborghinis and they rented hummus. The party's on, so they're heading downtown. Everybody's looking for a come up. And we're back with Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, with a reminder that if you or someone you know is struggling, please call Youthline at 1-877-968-8491 or text teen to teen at 839-863. That's teen, the number two, teen. Now let's get back to our conversation. Before the break, we were talking about the differences that your generation may have that are different than your parents' coping mechanisms. And I'm wondering, do your parents do things that maybe you don't do? Do they have some good ideas? Do other What do other adults do? Are there differences in how you take care of yourself? This is not a difference, but this is a similar thing that my mom and I do. Um, when we're going through a hard time or when um, we just need to vent or let feelings out, we just write it down. And like I got my very first journal from my mom and adopted that like mechanism from my mom. So it's not a difference, but it's something that she taught me. And I think that I usually write in my journal almost every day. And so which is something that I've learned from her generation, passing it down to me. In my family, my parents never really talked to me about mental health. Um, and I definitely saw them cope with their mental health issues in probably not the most healthy ways. There was definitely a lot of alcohol abuse, and that's very different than from how, how I cope with my mental health, but it definitely showed me kind of, as a benefit of seeing them struggle with their mental health issues in a healthy way, it shows me how not to do it. So in a way, I am kind of, in a way, it, it was beneficial to see that, but it's definitely hard to see people in my family struggle with their mental health issues and cope with them in unhealthy ways. Um, I also think it's important to point out, at least that I see, there is a generational difference between what my parents do and what my friends' parents do than, you know, what me and my friends do, just because people talk a lot more about mental health now than they did in the generation that my parents were growing up in, and that's such an amazing change, but I definitely do see a change, and, like, for example, I don't think my dad has ever... brainstormed a list of some self-care that he can do um he said when he was a teenager he would just cry in the closet and that was like literally just crying in the closet was his form of self-care and I don't think he ever brainstormed anything different so there definitely is a difference in the generations so when you look around and and you're at school or you're at home what advice do you have for parents and teachers and how they can help you with your self-care or others? Speaking from like a schooling perspective, I don't think some I think that sometimes teachers don't realize how much power they have to make like, you know, their I guess their students experiences better. Um, you know, just like putting out stress balls in class or having little coloring sheets or just even some teachers who give that 5 minute break in between of class because a 90-minute long class with such short attention spans can be really stressful for people to take in all that knowledge. 
So I think it's really important for the administration and even, I guess, you know, when you become adults and older, like bosses and everyone, to realize that the way they conduct their schedules and meetings, etc., can really impact the stress levels on different people. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's really important for teachers to understand the difference between a 30-minute session of cramming for notes for, like, a test and three 10-minute breaks with two minutes in between for students to talk it out or figure out where they're going with all the information they're getting. And I think that that break, like you were talking about, is so important in the school day. Um, yeah, I definitely, f- I also feel that in our education system, at least the way that I saw it when I entered high school was that you're seen as a more adequate adequate student the harder you work and the more workload you have and the more classes you're taking and the more stress you have. And I think that it's important for teachers to prioritize our mental health and understand that students have a lot going on in their lives. And like you guys mentioned before, having that five-minute break or not assigning homework when we they know that we have finals that week or other classes going on is very helpful to lower the stress of students. One thing I would like to mention for parents especially is that I think it's helpful to remember that if you ever do have a negative encounter with your with your son or your daughter or whoever a lot of the times it's likely not because of you it's nothing personal sometimes it can just be after school something happened during the school day when you weren't there and then now is just the time where they feel like they can let their feelings out so i think that's just a good thing to keep in mind um one advice to parents is um or and to children when you have the communication is to start the conversation. Um, One thing that my family and I do is that every time we call each other, we need to ask each other something like giving a ride to a sibling or um, cleaning the house or something. We always start the conversation with, how was your day? What was the favorite part about your day? Are you doing okay? So that way we can like lead the conversation into how we're feeling and not just telling each other to do something or asking each other to do something. And I think it's like, helped my family a lot because we get to have that conversation and even if maybe we're not going through something or we're having a great day either way we can talk to each other about it that also reminds me that another helpful thing that parents can do to get the conversation started is being vulnerable themselves like talking about their own mental health and talking about whatever they're going through is super important because then I think that makes it easier for your kids to feel like talking about what they're going through is a normal and encouraged thing and it can also just create way more connection. We're getting a lot of questions from social media. I want to read one to you right now. Jake asks, what are some good tips for how to cope when you're feeling maxed? Many of you have mentioned you have lists and brainstorming lists. I think we should just popcorn some lists out here of how how you can cope. What are some suggestions for our listeners? Well, if we're already talking about lists, I love lists. They are the best. They're my favorite thing. I can never be stressed if I've written everything down. I've found that if I write down everything I need to do and when it needs to be done and what it needs, like all the compartments of it, just looking at the list calms me down. And I know that it's organized and that everything I need to do is on it and that I will be okay when the list is complete. Um, Some other great ideas are like listening to music or watching TV, watching something on Netflix that you really enjoy, 
or exercising can be a really great way to relieve stress for some people. And maybe you need a power nap. That can also be a really good option. You could also do art or writing of some kind because taking your mind off of whatever you have been dealing with can be really relaxing to just, you know, take a break from that and do something creative with your mind. Um, one thing that I like to do when I'm feeling maxed is just getting organized, whether that be cleaning my room or organizing all my schoolwork just so that I can feel, I don't feel overwhelmed by what's going on and I can visually see everything in an organized manner. One thing I like to do when I feel maxed out is make another playlist so that way I can spend time to put songs together and then create a funny name for the playlist and that way when I have to get back to work or I have to go do something that way I can listen to the songs that I just created or songs that I just put on a playlist so that way I feel like I did something and then I can use that while I'm doing the things that I might feel stressed about. For me when I feel maxed out I try to prioritize the most important things in my life and when I do prioritize those things I find that I'm able to kind of cut certain activities or certain things out of my schedule because especially in our culture I feel like it's pretty over over glorified to be really busy all the time and constantly be doing things but sometimes I just like to cut some things out of my schedule to make myself less overwhelmed. Some things that I find really helpful are just going out for walks or talking to someone like FaceTiming a friend or talking to my mom for me. Well, I really want to thank you for sharing all these great ideas. Our listeners have more questions, so we're going to get back to listener questions after this quick break. You're on Talk to Be Well.
Talk to Be Well is back with our guests from Work to Be Well Student Advisory Council and Youthline. We're talking about stress and coping mechanisms today, and one great way to practice self-care is to reach out when you need help. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out to the Youthline at 1-877-968-8491 or text TEEN to TEEN to 839-863. Again, that's TEEN, the number two, TEEN. We have some more questions, one here from Summer. She wants to know, how important is the food I eat to my ability to cope with things? So it has been proven that a healthy diet can really help you manage uh, your stress levels like a healthy and balanced diet. So it's really important that you're eating the right foods for you. I personally use food as a coping mechanism often when I don't realize it. And, you know, sometimes having food that we usually find tasty but not necessarily are good for us can be satisfying in that moment, but really they don't help us in our body and our mind it's important to realize that our body and mind are harmonized so what we're putting into our body does affect our mental health so just eating fruits vegetables and just you know a balanced diet like you can still eat ice cream and chips etc but just balancing it out with some of those other nutrients is really important i really like what you just said about balance because especially with all of this diet culture that's going around in this media and just in our daily lives, I think it's really important to emphasize balance with food. And I know that food is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I think it's just important to remember that if you are struggling with food, it's always good to reach out to a professional for help. Just because food should never be something that you feel guilt or shame towards, it should be something that's positive and enjoyable. So Kim has a follow-up question in here. I think I use food to cope. Is that really a bad thing? Because I'm not overweight. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I mentioned earlier, I myself do that sometimes. It really depends what you're eating. Like there's some foods that are really proven to help with your um, stress levels. So if you're consuming foods that are good for you, that's great. And just reiterating that point about balance, just having a balanced diet. You know, sometimes you need food that's good for your soul and sometimes you need food that's good for your body and just making sure that you're getting enough of both because again our physical health is in touch with our mental health well and this brings up another question from paul he says is exercise really important for my stress level because i know exercise and food are sometimes along those same continuums i feel like it just stresses me more to try to find time to do it what do we think about exercise So I myself hate exercising, but I've been told a lot that, you know, exercise is going to help me with my stress or my anxiety. And it's just really about the hormones it releases. So I find it helpful to just go out for a walk, just to do something small physical. You don't, you know, have to get on a treadmill or do cardio, but just to get around, you know, get a move on or just, you know, listen to some music and go out for a walk, maybe go for like a cycle or if you drive, go out for a drive, just to have some movement in your body can be really helpful. And like exercise can be very helpful and it can be a very great coping skill. But I think that you need to set a boundary between what you will do for self-care, like what is good for you and what like will relax you. Because I know for me, I know exercise is the good thing to do and the right thing to do, but it just stresses me out more to try to figure out when to do it. So when I'm needing that self-care, I'm going to turn to something else like watching Netflix instead, even though that's not as healthy for me. I'll make other times for exercise because 
it can be good self-care, but you're just going to make yourself feel worse if you're pressuring yourself to do it, not to relax, but because you feel like you should, because people tell you that you should do it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think another option is to go play an instrument or find something else that you can put your whole self into that maybe doesn't have to do with going outside, which might stress you out or finding people to come do something with you when you're stressed out, which can also be really excruciating for someone. If you have, I like piano, I play ukulele. If you have anything that you can go play to just kind of get your mind off and get your mind going at a different motion than it's already going at would be just as good. I think exercising does help with your stress level, but personally, I do not like exercising alone. So um, I got a gym membership with one of my really good friends, and that way we hold each other accountable. And um, we also will tell each other, like, I need to go run a mile because I'm mad right now. And so that way it's just we're not taking our anger out on something else. We are doing it in a healthy way that might push our um, physical ability, but not too hard. Um, Also playing with your animals as well. That's also super important because um, your animals are basically one of your, one of your best friends. So giving them attention and then having them also give you attention, attention as well. um, I think personally helps me with coping mechanisms. Another kind of exercise that doesn't take as much time is yoga i um yoga and meditation can be really great ways to take care of your physical health but not in a way where you have to take out time to go to the gym or go on a run which can it can take a while if you do that but just being in your room for 15 minutes and doing yoga like from an app or looking it up can be a shorter but still very helpful well that's really helpful because melissa wanted to know are breathing exercises and meditation really helpful Do any of you use breathing exercises? What does that look like? I use breathing exercises a lot. My mom used to tell me to breathe a lot and I used to just get annoyed at her. Like, you know, this is, I'm just annoyed. Why are you telling me to breathe? I am breathing. I'm always breathing. But when I understood that we have a stress hormone called cortisol and it can become a neurotoxin, but breathing can really help regulate it. I understood that there's actually like science behind this. So now that I know how it's going to you know help me it's really helpful to know that breathing can actually cause change just so yeah breathing just you know taking deep breaths and concentrating on your breath rather than the thoughts that are going through your brain i like to use the box breathing technique so breathe in for five hold for five let out for five then hold for five and repeat I I mean, you can do any seconds you want, but I like to do five. Um, But it just helps me like calm myself down and kind of get me into a place where I can feel balanced and relaxed. But there's also a whole bunch of other apps that you can use or you can look it up on the Internet on just different breathing techniques and how to use them or when to use them. And they're personally for me, I think breathing exercises help me a lot. Do any of you do guided meditations or, or any of those types of apps where you listen to someone who takes you through a guided meditation to a beach somewhere and you know have you visualized that in your mind does anybody do that type of visualization I have before um, when I'm trying to fall asleep I will listen to a calming meditation where there's like wave sounds and somebody with a calm voice telling me to focus on my breathing and then to you know, think about something happy and all these a very helpful step through where I don't have to think about what I'm doing I just listen to the voice telling me what to do and then I feel much more tired and ready to go to bed. It sounds like the internet has a lot of good ideas for our listeners to be able to look up. Now, it's your turn to turn the tables on me. 
So for the last portion of our show, you're welcome to ask Doc Rob what questions you want to ask about coping, stress, and other types of things. So join us for our last segment on Talk to Be Well. For our final segment on Talk to Be Well with our panelists from the Be Well Student Advisory Council and from Youthline. 
Please remember, some of the things that we're discussing can be triggering. So if you or someone you love is struggling, please reach out to Youthline at 1-877-968-8491 or text TEEN to TEEN to 839-863. That's TEEN, the number two, TEEN. This is the time in our show when we get to flip the script and you all get to ask me questions. So what do you want to know from a psychologist's perspective about stress, coping, or anything else that comes to mind? Um, what advice do you have for somebody who is experiencing something stressful in their life that they can't control and how to cope with that? Or if they have a situation where they may not necessarily be able to practice healthy self-care or healthy coping mechanisms? That's a really great question. Thank you. One of the things that uh, we get overwhelmed with, especially when we can't control someone else's behavior, like let's say our parents are having a rough time or there's something going on um, that's outside of our control. It's important to focus on what you can control. And what you can control is you. What you can control are the things within your purview. Some of you have talked about making lists and writing things down and journaling. That's a really great place to start. Journal out all of those feelings that you're having that are out of control and seek to bring a little bit of clarity in there. Another great way to cope with that is to find a safe friend. Perhaps there's a teacher or uh, another uh, adult mentor or someone like that that you really trust that you can talk to about this. But if you can't find someone to talk to, you can always reach out to the folks at Youthline. They're really the people who are there to listen, but finding someone to listen to you when you feel out of control and you feel like you don't have control in a situation is the best way to get started. Um, So in our generation, mental health is super important and a lot of people are focusing on it and a lot of students are wanting to focus that for their career path. What do you suggest or what did you do to get to the point where you are today? That's a great question. So I started out my career working in group homes and residential facilities when I was still in college. Uh, I went to a small private college that was kind of expensive, and I needed to work to be able to to be able to pay for that. So I worked uh, shift work in a group home, and I learned a lot about uh, how to take care of young people. I was working actually with people your age, and I learned a lot about how to listen, how to interact and how really to take care of people who are struggling. And and that's where I got the bug. I went back to school a few years later and got my master's degree and eventually my doctorate because I realized that if I was going to be able to uh, do the thing that brought me joy, to be able to help people find you know their mental health and figure out how they too could be healthy with where they were at, I needed to get a little bit more education. Along the way, though, I also learned that I needed to go to therapy myself. Part of being able to work in the mental health profession is being able to understand and know where you yourself are coming from. So throughout my entire life, throughout my career, I periodically go back to therapy and I work through different things that come up for me. I know when I'm working with somebody who can be, um, you know, reactive for me, maybe I find them irritating. That means that they're bringing out something in me that I need to listen to and I need to figure out. But really, for me, learning how to become a mental health professional was a journey of self-discovery. And I've moved out of direct patient care these days. I now do what I call facilitating the practice of others. I set the conditions so that the people who work at Providence St. Joseph Health can be the best they can be and that mental health is available at all access points that we provide care at. But to anybody who wants to go out and be a mental health professional, go out and give it a shot. There are a lot of facilities that need young people to come and 
work with children and other adults and, and folks who are struggling with mental health and other conditions. What do you like to do for self-care? I have a few different things I like to do for self-care. Um, one of the things that's really important in my family is food. And when I come home after a long day at work, I'll spend an hour and an hour and a half making fresh dinner. I'll chop up the vegetables. I find that very meditating. I will cook. You know, I'm a scratch cook. And my family will kind of, you know, come and sit around the kitchen island and that's where we process through our day is while we're cooking dinner and while we're talking about that. So for us, food and the, the act of having a meal together is very important. I also like to take walks. Um, I have a lovely neighborhood with a lot of hills, and I like to walk up and down those hills. I do have a couple of cats that I like to play with. They're awfully cute, fuzzy, and adorable. I do highly recommend cat and or dog therapy. Uh, the bearded dragon is really not quite as fun. But for me in the moment, sometimes I find myself becoming anxious, especially if I'm getting ready to give a talk or something like that. And I've created my own guided meditation that I go to. Uh, I've created a lovely beach that I relax and deep breathe. And I start to think about my beach and the ocean and the waves that come up on the beach. And, and it's a beautiful, warm place. And I can feel that warmth. And I've really kind of trained my mind to that guided meditation. But in the moment, what I've begun to notice is uh, this little watch here on my hand. If I'm starting to get amped up or I'm starting to get a little bit anxious, it reminds me to take a deep breath. And I find that to be a really helpful feature in these things. I also take breaks from social media and email. Uh, I recently went on vacation for a couple of weeks and for the first time in a number of years, took email off my phone. It was remarkable. I came back to a lot, but for that period of time, it was good to take a break. I know that body image is something that a lot of people my age struggle with. Um, and I was just wondering if you had any advice for those people. Body image is such an issue in our culture these days. Um, we have this diet culture where every time you go onto social media, you're seeing different diet ads, different pictures of people. We know that we've kind of warped our impression of body image to be something that is an unattainable ideal. And my advice to my own kids and to, to everybody else and to myself a lot of times is, my body image is more than my physical appearance. My body image is also who I am as a person inside, who I am emotionally, who I am um, spiritually. All of those things make up my body image. And when I start to put that totality of a package together, it's not how I look in a bad picture on Instagram. It's really who I am as a person. And when I go to sleep at night, if I'm feeling good about myself as a person, if I've been kind, if I've helped to move things forward uh, in this crazy world of ours, then my body image says that I'm okay. As a parent, what would you, like what advice would you give other parents? And then also being a parent, what advice would you give kids on how to handle situations with their parents or conversations with their parents? The scariest thing as a parent is starting a conversation, especially a tough conversation. So my biggest piece of advice to parents is the same advice I give myself. It starts with just talking and making it less scary. Pick a time that's not right before somebody's going to school or right running out the door. In our house, it's Sunday night. Sunday night is family night. Nobody else comes over. And that's where we have our time to play games and talk together as a family. But we have difficult conversations. It can also help to rehearse that conversation with your partner, if you have a partner, or with another trusted adult, that just to say, you know, I got to have this conversation, and I'm not sure how it's going to go. Even writing out what are the points you want to hit, remembering that 
there's two sides to every story. And as a parent, I often make a lot of assumptions about what my kids do. And 90% of the time, I'm wrong, completely wrong. So don't be afraid to be wrong when you're talking to your kids. Always be, you know, mindful that the best lesson you can teach them is to own it and say, wow, I created this entire story in my head of what you were doing, and I was completely wrong. That's the best lesson that we can give our kids. For kids, the biggest, you know, piece of advice I give is to always be honest. Your parents are going to be a whole lot more understanding if you're honest up front, as opposed to if they find out about it later, just ask my kids. Trust me, it's always worked better. They can tell me the worst piece of news on the planet, but if they tell me, it's easier for me to deal with it up front than it is for me to figure it out later. We're out of time here on our episode of Talk to Be Well today. I want to thank our panelists from Youthline and from the Be Well Student Advisory Council. Thank you again for joining us here at Talk to Be Well today. Make sure to follow the Student Advisory Council on Instagram at Work to Be Well, and you can always visit with Youthline at their website at youthline.org. We look forward to future conversations on more mental health topics. If you missed part of our show today, you can replay it at any major podcast platform and share it with your friends. Thank you and be well. Be well.